1: Last week, we began exploring our calling to be the prosperous of the earth. That is a title for God's people, and it's found in Psalm 22, verse 29. Let me read the passage beginning with verse 27. All the ends of the world shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nation shall worship before you. For the kingdom is the Lord's, and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth shall eat and worship. Now, of course, that psalm is describing the coming messianic kingdom when the government of God will permeate this planet and bring everything into divine order. And what a wonderful thing it will be to be a part of that coming kingdom. And no wonder, all who are redeemed and all who are a part of the family of God will be and are right now referred to as the prosperous of the earth as a result, because there is no greater prosperity than to be a part of God's future plan to bring paradise back to the earth. What a wonderful thing. So that is our spiritual identity, not just futuristically, but something that we can possess and claim and confess right now. Not to be denied, but celebrated. In fact, you should confess right now, wherever you're at listening to this podcast, dare to declare, I am one of the prosperous of the earth. That was a strong statement coming out of your mouth. But what was it that you really communicated by that statement? Biblically, The word prosperous is descriptive of those who receive blessings, favor, success, and fruitfulness in every area of their lives, both natural and spiritual. It is not just confined to financial well-being or material success, and sometimes it means things altogether different. However, at times, financial and material well-being are definitely a part of it, and that is not to be removed from the revelation. Let's explore some biblical references now that use the word prosperous or prosper or prosperity. Let's find out what the Bible has to say about this. And I do know there's a proper balance. You can go to one extreme or the other. God's will is not for you to be poor, but God's will is not for you to lavish luxury on yourself at the expense of your spiritual well-being. So there is a balance in between the two extremes. Let's go to the Bible. One of my favorite prosperity passages is Genesis chapter 26, verse 13. Now, this is talking about Isaac, the son of Abraham, And how, in a time of famine, he received a hundredfold on the crop that he sowed. And so it was definitely about having your natural needs met. Because in verse 13 of Genesis 26, it said that that man, Isaac, began to prosper and continued prospering until he became very prosperous for he had possessions of flocks and possessions of herds and a great number of servants. So the Philistines envied him. Don't you love the way that's worded? The man began to prosper and continued prospering until he became very prosperous. I pray that for every one of you, and not just financially not just materially. Certainly I want your needs to be met and I want you to be blessed beyond just what your needs are because if we only pray for God to meet our material needs, to pay our bills, we don't have any surplus to sow into the lives of others who are needy. And certainly that should be our vision. We should go beyond a self-centered vision of just our needs being met to a God-centered and compassionate vision of reaching out to others as a son or daughter of God, blessing those who need to be blessed and representing our father in the process and his compassionate heart. So is it wrong to expect that same kind of overflow of prosperity that Isaac experienced in a time of famine What was that anyway? It was the blessing of Abraham. Remember, God visited Abraham in the beginning and said, I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. And the two go together. When God blesses you, it overflows into becoming a blessing to other people. You may say, well, that was Abraham back then. That doesn't have any relevance to me now. Not according to the Bible. Because Galatians chapter three, verse nine says, they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. So if you walk in the faith of the patriarch Abraham, if you walk in that same kind of trust and confidence that he had in God, then you should expect prosperity in every arena of your life, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, Relationally, in the relationships you have with your sons, your daughters, your wife, your husband, your friends, your co workers, there should be an overflow of the blessing of God in those social connections that you have. And there should be an overflow of the blessing of God financially and materially, as long as that does not become your focus in life. Remember, the blessing can become an idol. Do you remember when the children of Israel were healed because they looked on a brazen serpent that Moses lifted up on a pole and the and the venom of the vipers had no effect on them? But later on, they began to enshrine that brazen serpent and worship it. And so the blessing that was their means of deliverance became an idol to them and something that was displeasing to God. So there's always a critical balance. Jesus said, you cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon is a word for material riches. And some people have jumped off of that scripture to say, you you, you can't have material blessings and really be walking with God because you can't serve God and mammon. Wait a second. Watch the wording closely. Mammon makes a wonderful servant, but it makes a horrible master. If money is mastering you, if material possessions are possessing you instead of you possessing them, if you're driven by greed and self-serving attitudes, then there's no way you can serve God because you're serving mammon. Mammon is your master. But if you're passionate about God love God with all of your heart, want his blessing in your business and in your own personal life, then mammon becomes a wonderful servant because poor people can't help others who are needy. You have to be blessed of God for that blessing to overflow to others. Now, I guarantee you those who cry out against the quote-unquote prosperity gospel, if they were starving they would probably pray that God would make a way for them to have some food. Or if they were about to lose their cars and couldn't pay their bills and about to be evicted from their homes, I guarantee you they would pray that God would give them enough money to remain in their homes to pay their mortgage payment or to pay their car payment. And they wouldn't call it a prosperity gospel. But where do you draw the line? Because compared to the populace of this planet, anyone who owns a car, owns a home, or can choose what they eat in the next meal is rich, is wealthy by the world standard. Because there are so many impoverished people that could never afford a car and could never afford a decent home and hardly have enough food to eat each day. So where do you draw the line? When do you say it's gone too far and it's a perversion of the gospel? I think the Holy Spirit convicting your heart will let you know when you're balanced in your view and when you're approaching this from the right direction. Because, no, we don't want excessive luxury and flaunting wealth. That doesn't depict Christ-likeness if we're focused on the material. But we cannot deny that there are scriptures like Deuteronomy 8, verse 18. Listen, that passage says, You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth. That he may establish his covenant, which he swore to your fathers, as it is this day. Wow! Then he may establish his covenant. So part of God's covenant, His binding agreement with you, is to give you the power to get wealth. It never said He would give you wealth. He doesn't drop it in your lap, but He drops ideas in your mind. I know there was a a family in our church that was really struggling financially, and really in a tight place and could have lost their home. And they were going through some real difficult times, but God dropped it in their spirit to start a business that they have since been very blessed by. And it's uh, raising dogs and they're breeding golden doodles and mini doodles. And, And they are really climbing out of the grips of Bills and pressures, and God's blessing them financially. That is the blessing of God because God put it in their heart as an answer to prayer. So, God does that. God does that. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you power to get wealth that He may establish His covenant. So, that goes two ways. If God gives you the power to get wealth, that's a part of the covenant being fulfilled in your life. The blessing of Abraham overflowing to you because the Bible said Abram was very rich in gold and silver and cattle. However, he kept his focus on God and it was yielded and very self-sacrificing. So you've got to counterbalance it or it can become a trap that destroys you. The temptations that come with being blessed financially are pride, self-indulgence, and a egocentric sense of self-sufficiency. But if you war against those attitudes and keep the right balance, you can be used of God to bless others and to advance God's kingdom. And isn't that what we should all be focused on? Absolutely. But it goes the other way, too. Not only does God establish his covenant with you by prospering you but he also establishes his covenant through you when he prospers you, because you keep giving back that which is due to him. You keep sowing back into the kingdom. And it's not a business deal you work out with God. It's not some get-rich plan based on the Bible. It's on the basis of gratitude. It's on the basis of worshipfulness You want to thank God and bless God for having blessed you financially so you give back into his work. You help the missionaries. You help those that are indigent. You help those who are struggling financially, the widows and the orphans. You reach out as God leads you how to sow your seed. It's all part of his plan. And again, I've said it several times, but I'll say it again. If you keep it in a proper balance, it's right. It's good. It's a blessing. Why did Jesus tell his disciples to preach the gospel to the poor? I've heard some people explain that he wanted them to understand some principles that could help them wrench themselves free from poverty. I don't believe that's the interpretation of that particular statement of the Lord Jesus Christ, because poor people are often broken people, abused and used by those who are on higher levels financially, and they take advantage of their poverty. And as a consequence, they feel helpless and hopeless and caught in a web of poverty. And so they often are the ones that are most responsive to the gospel, because life has dealt them some heavy-handed blows to begin with. And they know that their answer is not in the material world because the material world has been so difficult for them. So their hearts are more open sometimes than those who are well-to-do or those who seem to have everything going for them. And so that's why Jesus said, preach the gospel to the poor. He knew they would be more receptive to the gospel. And the majority of what the gospel communicates is forgiveness and mercy and redemption and the character of God growing in you after Christ comes into your heart. And the Lord Jesus is your Savior and Lord, and he's guiding you into a future of eternal life that will unfold after death. All of that is far superior to being blessed in a material way. And he knew that the poor would be more receptive to that message. But let's go back to the Old Testament. I believe there's some things back there we need to cover for a few minutes before I close. Other times when the related words prosper, prosperous, prosperity, or prospering have been used in Scripture, and it has nothing to do with money. And I believe this is the overriding emphasis, especially in the Old Testament. It doesn't deal with monetary things as much as it deals with spiritual blessings being poured out in people's lives. For instance, in the life of Joseph, in Genesis chapter 39, verses three and four, he's been sold into Egypt and he is a slave in the home of the captain of the guard. And the Bible said his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and served him, and then he made him overseer of his house. And all that he had, he put under Joseph's authority. Now, that had nothing to do with material possession because Joseph didn't own anything. He was a slave. He didn't own his clothes, he didn't own a home, he didn't own a chariot, he didn't own any material things. He probably had no money he could call his own well, what was this prosperity that was recognizable in his life? The Lord made all he did to prosper in his hand. Whenever he was given a task by his master, it would be done with excellence. And also, most likely, he just had a way about him where he was good at organizing and good at leading others and good at communicating with others. And what he did was done in such a way that it brought forth fruit and accomplished the purposes of the captain of the guard who gave him that task. So all of that is under the heading prosperity. Yes, everything that was put in his hand to do prospered because he did it with all of his heart and he did it as an act of worship toward God and he did it because of his faithfulness to the principles that he knew were right that were pleasing in the sight of God and that overflowed into success in just about every area of his life. Well, you know the story how the captain of the guard's wife falsely accused Joseph of making an adulterous advance. And consequently, he was thrown into prison. But once again, prosperity followed him into prison. Can you imagine that? Genesis 39 verse 23 says, The keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him, and whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. Even in a jail cell, even incarcerated, he was given responsibilities. He had interactions with other prisoners that showed he had leadership abilities. He had trustworthiness. He proved himself capable of assuming responsibilities. There was probably a lot contained in that statement that whatever he did, even if it was the most menial task in the prison, God made it prosper. It was just done better, and it was a reflection of the faith that was within Joseph's heart and the worshipful devotion he had toward God. And that's the way it should be with all of us. Prospering doesn't just mean bringing in a big paycheck at the end of the week. It means when you are given responsibilities at your job, when you are given a task by your boss, it's done to perfection. It's done in such a way it brings forth fruitful results even beyond that person's expectations that's prospering. That's prospering in life. It's an overflow of the blessing of God, and it's an overflow of the presence of God in your life and the relationship you have with him and your passion to advance his kingdom and represent him in this world. Now listen, when God moves in your life, God expects to prosper. Go with me to Isaiah 55 verses 10 and 11. This is talking about the word of God. It says, as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth and make it bring forth and bud that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It will not, it shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish that which I pleased and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. So when God sends his word into a person's life, whether it's subliminal, inaudible, spoken to the heart of a person or spoken through another human vessel or read from the pages of the word, whenever the word of God comes into our lives, God expects that word to prosper because he expects it to have an impact on our lives that is transformational that will change us more inwardly into Christ-likeness, that will make us more functional as representatives of his kingdom. So many ways he wants his word to prosper in us. Let me take you to another scripture that is quite a profound one. It's Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53, like Psalm 22, graphically describes the crucifixion of the Son of God. Isaiah 53 starts out with statements like, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. But then over in verse 10, it says, it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you shall make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Well, if you go back to the beginning of that chapter, you're talking about hands that are nailed to a cross. He's wounded for our transgressions, but the pleasure of the Lord prospers in his hands, even when they're pinned to the wooden beam of a cross. And if that's true, with respect to Jesus in his death. then you can be sure is true with respect to the Son of God in a resurrected form. Whatever he stretches forth his hands to accomplish, it will prosper. And again, that may have absolutely nothing to do with monetary gain and everything to do with the advance of the kingdom of God in this world. So again, This biblical word is much more profound in meaning than some of the narrow definitions we've assigned to it. Let's go to one of my favorite prosperity scriptures before we end. This was actually spoken by God himself to Joshua after Moses was taken to heaven. God spoke to this new leader of Israel and he said, this book of the law, which was a reference to the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. He said, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. God's reference to prosperity there meant Joshua prospering in his leadership role, being influential and being able to take the children of Israel into the land of promise to take hold of their promised inheritance and to succeed in what God had called him to do. Praise God! And it all hinged on him meditating on the book of the law, the Torah. Now, we've got more than five books. We've got 66 books in the Bible now revealing the will of God to us. And if five books of the Bible could bring prosperity to Joshua, 66 books should bring greater prosperity to you in even a more profound sense than the way it happened for Joshua. And I pray that. In fact, the Bible prays that. There's a Holy Spirit inspired prayer that the Holy Spirit flowed through John the Apostle to pray for you. I take all the prayers of the New Testament and some in the Old Testament as coming from the intercessory ministry of the Holy Spirit. When we don't know how to pray, the Holy Spirit makes intercession for us, and sometimes he does that by inspiring prayers in the bible writers who then conveyed those words to us and john said this he said beloved i pray that you may prosper in all things that covers every area of life i pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers now don't leave that balancing phrase out because if your soul is not prospering Material prosperity is empty and vain and useless and self-serving, but if your soul is prospering and if God causes an overflow into other areas of your life, that's wonderful, and that makes you not only blessed, but blessed to be a blessing. Let me say in closing that if you embrace this revelation in a balanced way, in a God-pleasing and God-worshipping way, I've got to quote Isaiah 54 verse 17 over you, that no weapon formed against you shall prosper. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. If you have a servant's heart, If you live to serve God and to serve others, not only will you prosper, but no weapon the enemy forms against you will prosper. Even when hard times come or opposition and persecution rise up against you, it will all work together for your good because you are one of the prosperous of the earth. Psalm 35 verse 27 says, Let the Lord be magnified who has pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. If it pleases God, it should please us to receive by faith the blessing he has for us as long as we walk in a servant's heart toward him. That's the key to understanding this revelation.